Okay, so the video we played just a few moments ago. All those little clips, all those little wonderful clips. What do they have in common? Happily ever after. Happily ever after. What else? Anything else? Yeah. Disney, yeah. Yeah, all those things. Here's, here's the one that's really important for you to hear right now. Fantasy. Happily ever after is fantasy. <laughs> okay, now I know y- y'all, are, y'all are, are hesitant to say, <laughs> say amen to that, but come on, let's be real, okay? Okay, those of you who've been married a little while, you know, happily ever after is fantasy. Orson Welles said this, and I wish I had the quote exactly. I, I thought about this in the first sermon. I'll throw this in right here. He said, happily ever after is, 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 of course, based on where you stop telling the story. And that's what Disney did, is Disney stopped right there, and they live happily ever after. I mean, you, you know, there's a moment in every one of our lives we can stop and say, okay, it's happily ever after from here, because we don't see the rest of the story. So let me tell you a little bit of the rest of the story. All right, once upon a time, a lady named Snow White, y'all know, y'all know her? Snow White married Prince Charming, and she moved immediately into the castle with, with him and his, his parents, who were the king and the queen. And you know what ladies do when they first move into a new place, right? They want to redecorate. And so she started talking about all these things she wanted to do, and the queen got upset because, you know, the queen was the one in charge of the last redecoration, remodeling, and so she was upset. She, and, you know, she, being a queen, she didn't have a lot of tact. She didn't have to have tact. She just told Snow White exactly how she felt about it. Snow White's all upset. She goes back and tells her husband, your mom is belligerent, your mom is mean-spirited, da 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 all this. Well, all this just kept escalating until Prince Charming, he just started spending more and more time out on the royal hunts, you know. And, uh, and then, of course, that just made her more upset, frustrated. She felt alone. She felt ignored. I mean, now she's living in, the, in a castle with people that don't even like her anymore, and she wants him home more, spending more time with him. Finally, they decide, we just got to get out of here. So they go down road a few miles and they buy an estate uh, just a few miles down the road. They, they buy this estate and they start having kids. They have four kids and, and a dog. And, uh, and, and this didn't make her any happier because she gained 10 pounds with every one of the kids that she had, you know? And so that, and, and then her, her clothes, her royal garments didn't fit anymore. And uh, the uh, fairy godmother, she wasn't around. She was too busy trying to help uh, other ladies find their Prince Charmings. And, you know, and, and so... And then there was a famine that came on the land, and it totally wiped out the royal treasury. And so Prince Charming had to get a real job. You know, somebody say, man, had to get a real job there, you know. And, and Snow White had to learn to make her own clothes, change her own kids' diapers, you know, uh, clean house, cook meals, and all of those things. And most nights, they collapsed into the bed, totally exhausted. Come on, somebody. Help me right there. Say amen, Fastener. You know, need to preach there a little while, don't we? And a lot of days, they lived happily, but some days weren't happily ever after. Okay, now, I, I know you say, but that's really a pessimistic way to look at marriage, isn't it, Fastener? Uh, no, but here's the thing. Is we got to quit believing the myths that the world tells us about relationships. Because the myths are destroying our relationships and they're destroying marriage. Because what we do, the, the myths are facades, the quick, easy things that you can do. I mean, you can have a happily ever after, true love's first kiss, awesome, this is the one on the first date. 
I mean, you can do it. You know, man, you can see it. Oh, man, we are perfect for one another. I can see us growing old together. That's because you don't know each other yet, right? You don't know all that. And so what you could do is, is you start, man, you start painting a facade over this thing. Man, this is going to be awesome. And, and then a little ways into the relationship, you start realizing what this guy or this lady is that you've been hanging out with. And you're thinking, I don't know about this anymore. But there is a depth that is there. And th these three things that have reached you about love, sex, and relationships, there is a depth in each one of these that the world's myths destroy. But if we will get rid of the myths, look at the truth, look at the depth, we can receive the awesome again in our marriages, in our relationships, in our families, in our homes, in our jobs, in our schools, in our communities. All of, but we've got, to, we've got to first get rid of the myths. So this morning, I want to dispel the myths. I want to, I, I, I want to tell you the myths that are untrue. I've got a bunch of them for you here, okay? And the first one we've already started talking about is that marriage, I mean, these are not just about marriage, but about relationships, but this marriage will bring me happiness. That's the first one we need to get rid of. Marriage will bring me happiness. And I know people who think that. You know, and, and, they, and they think, you know, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to uh, get married and everything will be fine. Uh, let me tell you this. If you're not happy before you get married, you won't be happy after you get married. The only thing you're going to do is you're going to make somebody else unhappy, the person that you got married to. You know, if you're a miserable person, you're just going to make somebody else miserable when you say, I do. Yeah, give me, that's a good amen right there. It, it, it doesn't work that way. Marriage does not bring happiness. It was never intended to bring happiness. Who said God wanted, I mean, really, who even said God wanted us to be happy? He doesn't want us to be happy. Okay, now I know you say things. God doesn't want me to be happy. Pastor, you know, this is a really depressing sermon. No, it's not. Hang on here, Okay. You're trying to be happy. You know, happy is this shallow. God wants more for you than happy. He wants more for you than happy. There's so much more than just happy. In, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God sees Adam and, and he looks at Adam and, uh, and, and he says, you know, Adam needs something here. And, and if it was happiness, God would have said something totally different here. Look what God says. God says, it is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. If it was happiness that God wanted us to have, then God would have said, look at Adam, he is so sad. Oh, Adam, he, he, just, he just trudges through the day, just barely makes it. He needs somebody to make him happy. He need, come on, now you ladies ought to help me preach right here. <laughs> he needs somebody to pat him on the back, tell him everything he's ever tried to do has been awesome. He needs somebody just just always lift his spirits, no matter how tough a day that, that they have had, that when he comes in the door, they lift his spirits and tell him, you can make it, you know, and be his cheerleader. And always keep him happy. Fulfill all of his dreams and wishes. Help him become the man he has always wanted to be and make him happy. Uh, so Eve, the pressure's really on you, you know, to make him happy. That's what he would have done if he wanted us to be happy. And this is not just from, for men, but also for women. Ladies, he doesn't want you just to be happy. There's something so much deeper than happiness. You see, the intention of God in marriage are these words down here and a whole lot more, but these are the ones I wrote down. Peace. That, that, that's the reason. And, and you know, like this, like peace goes so much deeper. Peace is not the absence of war. You might have heard somebody say that before, okay? You can have peace in the midst of war. When someone is attacking you and destroying you, you can still have peace. You know, and even, even when your marriage is going through some rocky times, you can still have peace. That's what he intends, peace, fulfillment. 
Oh, it's so much better than happiness. Happiness comes and goes. Contentment. Ah, purpose. A family. Family is one of the most awesome blessings God ever gave us to have family. Companionship. Someone to always be with me, even when I'm not happy. Someone to share my sadness with when I'm sad. You know, people are going through stuff. Thank God, you know, I got somebody to share that with me. Passion. To share my passion. Encouragement. Someone to encourage me. And fun. Fun's so much better than happiness. Fun's, fun's a lot better. Happiness comes and goes. But, man, you can have fun. Yeah, fun is so much better than happiness. You know, and we, we strive to be happy. Can I tell you something? The most unhappy people on the planet are the people who have made it their goal to be happy. Because when they set their mind on happiness, every little thing destroys their goal. And they end up being the most unhappy people because it's all about happiness. It is so much more than that. It is so much deeper than that. It is so much more awesome than happiness. I mean, fun is just, you know, and and fun people. I mean, I'd a whole lot rather be around a fun person than a happy person. Because a happy person is going to be sad in a couple days, but a fun person. And and let's just be true. Let's just be honest here. It would be sadistic to be happy all the time. You know, I mean, you know, I just told you about Mac, you know, and, and his dad. It would be sadistic to be happy about, you know, some of the stuff that we see happening around us and us to always to be happy. You know, we'd be a little sick in our heads if we were always happy. But God gives us something much, much deeper than that. So, so get rid of that. Second, uh, second myth is that my spouse will complete me. You ever heard that one? You ever said that one? Or you've heard it in sermons. You know, God wants, and, and, and one of the reasons we, we kind of think this is, is because, you know, opposites attract, you know, and, and sometimes you need, you know, you need to be opposites a little bit. For instance, like if you are not good at handling money, it would be a really good, good thing for you to find somebody to marry that is good handling money so that y'all aren't in the poorhouse and uh, you're broke all the time, you know, and constantly filing for bankruptcy because neither one of you know, and, you know, some of those things are good to have like that. But God didn't give you a spouse. He didn't create marriage so you would have someone to complete you. You know, that's God's job. You remember the scripture just a few weeks ago? Now, I I didn't bring it to you again today because I I had it down and I started, man, I just started listing them, all the things about God working on us and how God completes us. But the one I used a few weeks ago about that, you know, not, not even that. I mean, just right here. God says, I will make him a helper fit for him. That's, your job is not to complete your husband or your wife. Your job is to fit them. Just fit them. Now, I know uh, a lot of people have misquoted the King James Version of this verse where, it says, where God says, and I will make him a helper meet for him. And that word meet, we don't use it today. It means, and it's not M-E-A-T, it's M-E-E-T. I will make him a helper, meet for him. And, and what it means is fit, okay? But some people misquoted that and they said, God said he would help make me a helpmate. No, no, not a helpmate. It's a help meet for him, a helper fit for him. That's what we're called to be, someone that fits you. And here's what, see, here's what you need. You don't need somebody to complete you. God's going to do that. You need somebody that fits you. So that when life is falling apart, someone that fits you and helps you get through the day. That's what you need. Somebody that fits you. And incidentally, let me tell you this. If you're not married yet and you're dating somebody that doesn't help you get through the troubles, but they're the ones bringing the troubles, they don't fit you. 
They don't fit you. It's time for you to go look for somebody else, okay? If, 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 that, if that, that's, one of, that's one of the definitions of fitting you as someone that, 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 boom, just connects right there and you guys together are able to get through the troubles. You're going to need that one day in marriage, okay? Because they're going to be troubles. And so if you're not married yet, make sure you've got someone. You're dating somebody. And, and, and well, I, I just, I just got to say this. You know, I know I can tell you countless couples that messed up because they dated in the first place. Don't ever date somebody you'll not marry. The moment you realize we don't fit is the moment you need to say, this isn't for me. Dating is not just a fun thing to do. Dating in this culture, in this society, is a precursor to marriage. And once you get into dating, once you get into dating and you start liking someone, you love them too much to break up and everything. I love them now. And it doesn't matter. Everybody can list you a hundred reasons why that guy or that girl is not for you. And you don't care anymore because you love them. Don't date somebody you can't marry. And when you realize you don't fit, it's time for you to, to, to go on. And, and look, so let's go on. Here, here's three quick ones real quick. All right. Uh, people in love never argue. You just preached that one for me right there. <laughs> I got something really deep to share with you, okay? If you believe people in love never argue, here's something really, really deep. Grow up. <laughs> this is one of those myths that needs dispelling so you can see the beauty that is here, the depth, the awesomeness that is here. People in love are free to argue because their love is stronger than the argument. Because I disagree with my spouse about something, but we can discuss it and even argue. And we can get on past it because it's never about the argument. The marriage is about the love. People in love do argue, but there's a freedom to argue. There, there's a confidence. There's a, there, there's a settledness that the argument will not destroy our relationship. So that's why people in love, not, they ju not just that they do argue, people in love are free to argue. They can argue and know that it's not going to end in divorce because that is, we don't even use the D word. You know, People in love are free to argue. Uh, true love never changes. Thank God that's true. Uh, uh, that's not true. I'm sorry that that's a myth. Thank God that's a myth because you know, when I was a teenager, my true love you know, was about this deep. You know, I mean, I thought, man, yeah, this was awesome. But it's about this deep. And, and I realize now I look at what true love is to me and how it totally encompasses who I am. And there's, you know, there's no question about things. I mean, you know, true love is, or, or it's a, you know, kind of like puppy love or, or, or you know, young love. It's, it's so shallow. It's so, I guess, immature. Immature love is so mature, right? But it's deep. It's depth. It, it, it's there. Thank God. Yes, love does change. It does change. It gets deeper. True love gets deeper and goes on. And uh, my spouse should know my needs without me saying anything. Okay, that's a myth. <laughs> Before you thought, you thought you, this is another, no, this is not a truth. This is a myth. My spouse should know my needs without me saying anything. I've heard people say that. Normally, there are people who are arguing, yeah? Normally, there are people in counseling or whatever. He ought to know without me having to tell him that I want him to pick up his clothes and da-da-da-da-da. You know, and the guy, he's thinking, well, I lay my, I've been laying my clothes there for 10 years, and she's never asked me before, so I thought it was okay. You know, she hadn't told me. And, and, and we're thinking, well, she ought to know that I like to go out on, you know, Friday night bowling with the guys or whatever, you know, and, she, and, and you know, she ought to know that, and we ought to, No. Two scriptures right here. Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. Jesus says, your father already knows what you want before you ask. And then in James, we're reminded, sometimes you don't have what you need because you don't ask. 
But wait a minute, God already knows, right? Now, if God already knows, but we still need to ask. Same thing with your spouse. They're not mind readers. And God is a mind reader. He reads the hearts and the thoughts of all mankind, but we still have to ask. And so if your spouse, if your spouse who is not a mind reader because of God, then yeah, your spouse needs you to tell them, I need this. And you know what that does? Is it puts the ball back in their court for them to be able to say, yes, I want to do something nice for you. So yeah, we do need to ask. Okay, so go on, back to the myths. Those were three quick ones real quick. And back to now number six. Uh, things will get better over time. Normally people say that right before they get married or right after they get married. I've had people say that, you know, in premarital counseling. Yeah, we're struggling, but things will get better over time. You know, or right after, you know, and they're, they're in counseling because they're having problems. But I just believe things are going to get better over time. Fantasy, myth, things do not get better over time by themselves. Everything in life for it to get better has to be worked at. You want to see work? We're going to read several uh, portions of Ephesians chapter 5 in some of, these, uh, some of the rest of these. It's, uh, in verse 22, the little phrase that begins with is, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Come on, ladies, that's some work. Come on, amen? You know, and, and it doesn't mean what some people think it means. Okay, we're going to kind of get into that here in just a couple of minutes. Okay, it doesn't really mean what people think, but it, that takes some work. All right, and husbands, love your wives. That's easy. Buy her some candy. That's not what it's talking about. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. You know what? There is, there, there is, there is something that is here called the commitment of sacrifice. That's what, that's what marriage is. It's a commitment of sacrifice. It is saying, I do not matter anymore. If you're married, you know, it's not really required by law for you to say all those beautiful things that you say to be married. Okay, but probably everyone in this room that's married, you stood somewhere and you made some promises. And those promises basically were, I do not matter anymore. You matter to me more than anything else in the earth. A commitment to sacrifice. It means, very specifically, in light of these two verses, these two phrases and these two verses right here, it means, honey, you know, I want this, 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 but I really want what you want more. That's what submitting means. It doesn't mean you get to beat me up. You get to tell me everything to do. It's like, no, honey, all this stuff I've got in me, you wives, all this stuff that you have in you, it's like, but your stuff is more important to me. That's what it means. And you, and you men, you say, I, you know, I, I, I got a lot of things I love, but I love nothing more than I love you. And love is sacrifice. It, not, not, I'm not talking about saying you love or, or giving a gift. I'm saying true love is sacrifice. And, and it sounds so easy. It sounds like the ladies have the hard part, submitting all of my wills and all my wants and all my desires and all my dreams. And, and honey, I, I want you to be... But love is all of that, but even deeper. We have the harder part, guys. It's because on top of that, of, of saying, but all of my stuff doesn't matter anymore, you matter, and I love you. Because you know what love does to you? You know what love I'll show you. Let's go to the next myth. I will change them after we're married. Yeah, <laughs> heard that one, right? You know, and I, I started to just put, I will change him after they're married because I hadn't heard a lot of guys say, I'll change her after we get married because I, I think, guys, I think we, we just don't care <laughs> or, or we don't even notice that they need to change that much or whatever, you know, but 
but the ladies, they know. Oh, they see all this, and they, yeah, I'll fix that. I'll change that. And I'll, you know, this comes up in premarital counseling. Believe me, it comes up in premarital counseling. Let me, let me, let me read the scripture. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ. This is chapter 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. First of all, let me say, changing them is not your job. It's God's. Look at it right here. He's talking about his bride. Who is his bride? Me and you. He is cleansing us. He is changing us. He is making us better so he can present us to himself as a beautiful, glorious, radiant bride altogether. He is the one changing us. It's not your job to change your spouse. It's not your job. Secondly, notice this. What does it take to change a spouse? What did, it, what did it cost Jesus? His life. You try to change your spouse, get ready to die. You're going to kill yourself trying to change your spouse. Amen? I mean, you know people that are killing themselves trying to change their spouse. If it killed Jesus to, to change his spouse, it's going to kill you. To change your spouse. You can't do it. You're not that strong. It's not up to you. You don't have the ability. It's not your job. It'll kill you if you try to do it because it's not your job. Because it's Christ's job. It's his job. That's what he does. See it right there? It is his job to do this. That ought to be liberating to you. If you've been trying, if you've been racking your brain, if you've been banging your head against the wall saying, they've got to change. This ought to be liberating to you. If you've got a, a spouse who is not a, who's not a believer... It ought, to, it ought to just, you know, a light ought to go and say, thank God, I don't have to change my spouse. No, you can't change them. You know, and, and, or if it's just an argument that you have that you can't get over, whatever. It's not your job to change. It is God's job to change them. We've got some good friends in ministry, and they've been ret retired for several years. And, and uh, I, I've heard this story several times. They, they attended church actually came and attended church after they retired. My church let me pastor them, which is an honor, you know, for a retired minister to say, I want you to be my pastor. And we heard the story several times about early in their marriage, they were struggling with a lot of things. And, uh, and uh, she came to him one day, she said, you know, this has got to stop. She said, I've just decided I'm just going to pray and uh, God's going to have to change me or you won. That's what I'm going to pray. And he said, well, get ready to change. And he said, the more she prayed, the more I changed. You know what happened? She decided, I can't do this. I'm going to let God make the changes. And you know what he did? He was still saying, you got to change. you got to change. You gotta... And he was the one that ended up changing. It is not up to you to change. That ought to, that ought to be freeing. You see, so, so this, this myth right here, let's get rid of it because this is freedom now to understand it is not my responsibility to change them. My job is to lead them closer to Christ every day that I can. That's my job as a spouse, to do everything I can to make them love God more because he already died for their change in their life that needs to happen. Amen. Let's go on. Next myth. Uh, you must find the one to make it work. Now, I used this term last week when I talked about a little green-eyed girl uh, quite a few years ago, and uh, I used that term, the one, but I think there's a, a misunderstanding about what that term means, the one. It's like we kind of look at this and we think that somewhere out there is the one that is waiting for us to discover them, you know, so that our lives will be perfect together. There, there's this the one that is out there. 
And the way to, that's not what this means at all. There are several problems with, with this the one theory that, that they're out there waiting for me. And uh, let, let, me, let me go ahead and, and read this, this to you. Uh, this is chap, uh, same chapter five of Ephesians, verse twenty-eight and thirty-three. In this same wise, husbands ought to. In this same way, I'm sorry, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Okay, th- th- this attitude of of finding the one. It's not spoken here. I mean, this, this, is, this is the one that really tells us this thing about how this thing is supposed to work. And it's, it's not spoken of like there's someone out there to find. This the one is not that there's someone out there that I have to find. This the one is the one that I choose to make. Here, here's, here's one of the problems. is when you think there is a the one out there, you're, you're saying that God has chosen that I will marry this one person. Okay, okay all right. Uh, then what happens if you and she do not get married or you and he do not get married? What happens? Okay, that means you're not in God's will because God has chosen that person for you. And if you marry somebody else, that means that person is not in God's will. And the person that the one you're supposed to marry, married, whoever they married, they're not in God's will because it was obvious, you know, that's all broken. And then the people they were supposed to marry can't be in God's will because they're marrying somebody else. And, and then those people can't be in God's Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, if God had set this up, like, I'm going to, I'm going to decide. I mean, like chess pieces on a chessboard. I'm going to decide who everybody marries. Then, man, how many of us would really be in God's will? We all miss God's will. How many of us could really, you know, if he said, you cannot have my blessings unless you marry this person, it would be a mess, would it not? That's not what he said, though. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. What he said right here is, is, he, is he's saying, ladies, don't marry the person that you respect. Men, don't marry the woman that you love. But he says, the one that you're married to, ladies, respect him. The one that you're married to, men, love her. Who you're, whoever you're married to, respect them and love them. And so if you're not married, listen then. Don't marry somebody you can't love and respect. And for those of you who are married, you may be thinking, oh, oh well, uh, you know, uh, I don't know that I can do that. Try it. It's the secret to the success of your marriage. Here, here's, one, here's one of the big problems in, in, in the world today because of this, this myth that there's this the one out there is because whenever you fall out of love, oh, well, they must not be the one, so I need to go find somebody else. And you're in and out of relationships and in and out of marriages looking for the one. There is no the one like that. Here's what it means to find the one. It means to find that person. It means, ladies, to find that man that you can respect. Man, it means to find that lady that you can love sacrificially and to stand, look her eye to eye, in the presence of God, and say, I take you as my wedded spouse to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. And by saying that, you're saying, I choose you to be my, the one. That's what it means. to. And when you find that, then yes, that will be the secret to a great marriage. But the myth about finding that V1 that's already out there for you, that's a myth. And you'll be chasing it the rest of your life. Love the person. That's the command of God. So if you messed up, you married the wrong person, it doesn't matter. Love them anyway. Respect them anyway. That's the secret to getting there. That's the secret to holding it together. And that's the secret to the blessings of God. Let's hurry on. I think I'm to my next to the last one, right? Yes. Only, only bad marriages need strengthening. 
This, this Saturday is, is, is date night, a, a, an event that you need, if you're married, you need to be there. And one of the reasons you need to be there is because I, I was trying to figure out, I was trying to think just off the top of my head in the middle of the first service, I, I guess it was two and a half months ago, I began praying about this. God, please give us a venue, give us a, give us a time, give us a moment to do this. It's because, God, we need to strengthen the marriages. And so we've been, I've been praying about this for a lot longer than the people who've been helping us plan it even knew we were thinking about doing something like this. I was praying about it before I even mentioned it to Deva. Probably about six weeks before I even mentioned it to her. I was praying and praying. This has been on my heart. That's one of the main reasons you need to be there. Because you need to strengthen your marriage. Not just, not just bad marriages need strengthening. Here's what I, here's what I see as Pat. And, and, and let, me, let me just give you some, uh, tell you what to do. Go out in the foyer. There's a table there if you've not yet bought a ticket. It's $5 for both couples. We made it really cheap this year. We just want you to buy in and be here. Okay? Church is going to spend some money to pour into you this next Saturday night. For you that are married, go out there and do that before you leave today. And we, we really need to know in a hurry, okay? So do, so do that in a hurry so we can, we can plan because uh, we're going to have some good food this week also. So we're going to plan all this stuff. But here's the thing I know as a pastor. It's the bad marriages that don't come to these things. It's the people that have already given up. They say, what's the use? Or it's the people who are headed in that direction that their mar- marriage is on the rocks but they still got it covered up somewhat. Nobody in the church knows that they got a bad marriage or that they're headed that way. And so I can't come to that thing because I don't want people to realize that I got a bad marriage. So who shows up at these things? People with strong marriages. And, and, and you say, well, how do we get the people? I can't make the people with bad marriages show up. It's the people with strong marriages. And, and it's kind of like this, this chicken and egg thing, which comes first. You know, almost like a cycle maybe also. It's like, which comes first, which is it? Because the reason people with strong marriages come to these things is because they're looking for something to make their marriage stronger, which gives them a stronger marriage, which makes them look for things like this, which keeps them, makes their marriage stronger, and makes them look for things like this. And it's a cycle like that. And so the ones with the best marriages are the ones that show up at these things. So if you're trying to hide a bad marriage, show up. You need to come. If you want, because that's the best way to hide it. Because the people with strong marriages are the ones that are going to be there. Because they're looking for something else to make their marriage stronger. Amen. Stand with me, will you? And if you will, would you join me around front for last closing thought? One last myth. And one last little thought. This, is, this has been a fun series to preach. It's been scary for some of you that are related to me. It always, it always occurs to me whenever I preach this particular subject I preach today that there's three groups of people in, normally in the, in the crowd. Those who are married and really needed to hear this. Those who aren't yet married but are about to be married or maybe somewhere down the road are about to be married or married again. And really needed to hear this. <laughs> are those of you who are divorced or widowed and you're saying, never again. <laughs> so I didn't, yeah, you needed to hear this because the world, for some of you, if you're younger, the world may, you may be listening to the world's myths and thinking that 
I'm not going to try that junk again. It may be that God does have something like that for you. But even if not, for those of you who are older and say, no, no, that, my time is done in that. You need to know this is why our marriages are struggling. So you can pray over the marriages in this church. So you really needed to hear this. All of us needed to hear this today. We need to know. We need to be reminded. And not just, not just in marriage, but in every part of life, there are so many myths out there that become truths to the world that are destroying the depth and the beauty and the awesomeness of what God really wants to do in our lives. Last little thing. Last, last myth. Love is enough. We thought that when we got married. And then we got hungry. <laughs> and I needed a raise. <laughs> you know? And we needed some money, you know? Love is not enough. Uh, got a quote. This is a great quote from John Mark Comer. said, uh, marriage is two broken people coming together to follow God's calling on their lives. You need Jesus in your marriage. You can do all the things you want. And yeah, you can have a pretty good marriage. But if you want it to be great, you want it to be awesome, you really need Jesus. But you know, that's true in every part of your life, isn't it? You can't do any of it without him. And all that you try to do and follow the rules, yeah, you get a lot, you, you, get, you make a lot of progress, but until you really get Jesus there. So if you're not a Christian this morning, let me say, start right now and start with Jesus. If you, you are a Christian, you know him, and, and you got problems in your marriage or any part of your life, start back with Jesus again. Say, Jesus, fix this. I can't fix it. Can I let you loose here again? Can I give you some freedom again? It's not your job to fix it. It's your job to release it to him and let him fix it. You and everybody around you and all the stuff around you, you need Jesus to help you with whatever it is that you're dealing with. Amen. Oh, and, 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 th and this song just, just reminds us of that. This last song we're going to do. Jamie's going to lead us in a moment. Don't start singing. You finish praying. Bow with me right now. Let's pray. Father, I just ask you, go ahead with me.